Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Our focus is on on taking bad fats out. We're we're focused on a world that no longer is always fighting about the quantity of food, but but some people want a better quality of food. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Farm Traveler podcast. Today our guest is the CEO of Calix, Jim Bloom. Jim is going to talk to us today about Calyx and how through their technology, they're able to speed up traditional plant breeding through genetic editing. And he's going to tell us kind of how that differs from genetic modification, you know, like GMOs and how with that technology, they're able to make foods taste better and also be healthier for consumers. So Imagine in the distant future, you're able to eat your favorite guilty pleasure snack, whether that's like Doritos or Cheetos or whatever, and you don't have to worry about the trans fat. You don't have to worry about all the bad nutrients and the bad health problems that come with those snacks because, you know, they're delicious, but they're not very healthy for you. So that's not exactly what Calyx does, but their technology is going to lead to that. So it's it's such a really cool prospect and it's so cool to kind of hear about their technology. So this is a great interview with Jim. Be sure to check out our website, thefarmtraveler.com for more information on this interview and you can get some links to check out Calyx. And also I included on the website some information from the BBC on plant breeding and genetic editing and how we've kind of been using it over the course of several thousand years. And so a lot of people don't know through methods like that, we made um, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kale, and broccoli from mustard. So hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there was just wild mustard. And so through plant breeding, back in the olden days, we were able to make crops like broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, and all that other stuff. So it's really neat. So anyway, kind of a random tangent there. So be sure to check that out. Again, that's thefarmtraveler.com. And I really hope you enjoy your interview today with Jim Bloom of Calyx, full of a lot of really neat stuff about what they're doing with their technology. Be sure to check them out at calyx.com. That's C-A-L-Y-X-T.com. So anyway, hope you enjoy episode 59 with Jim Bloom. (music) 
All right. Well, Jim Bloom, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Very good, Trevor. How are you? I'm doing good. So I'm excited to talk with you because you're all about genetically breeding plants, improving the crop. So before we dive into that, tell us a little bit about kind of your background and kind of how you started working with Calyx. So I grew up uh, very close to the earth in a farm in Iowa, growing corn and soybeans. Went, got my degree out of Iowa State in agronomy and took off and worked for a lot of the biggest companies in the world uh, doing chemical seeds, fertilizers. And so I've always been really in touch with the production side of agriculture. My most recent job before this was uh, as the CEO of Bear North America. So doing this on a large scale and doing it uh, uh, really important work to bring the quantity of food to the world. And uh, this opportunity at Calix, the small company in Roseville, Minnesota, right outside the Twin Cities here, uh, which has an opportunity to bring technology from the University of Minnesota and use it in their editing platform to make foods and commodities better for you. So it really was an attractive way to take all of my background in food and ag and uh, agriculture and production and expand on it by, by taking the food you love and making it even, even healthier. And uh, that's what we do at Calix in a nutshell. That's cool. Yeah, it sounds like it was a perfect fit for you. So walk us through like how the exact process at Calix works. So you improve crops. Tell us how exactly you guys do that. Sure. We talk about it in simple terms. We, we, our first product is a high leg soybean. So we talk about decommoditizing commodity products. And for the farmer, it means that we're paying him a premium for something that's harvested at the food company because we link him to it. And because consumers want no trans fat. They want a healthier soybean oil, which in the past is why we lost the soybean, uh, the, you know, the, the vegetable oil business is because without the no trans fat soybean varieties, we had to uh, partially hydrogenize the soybean oil and it, and it added trans fat. And uh, today's consumer doesn't want that. So we knew how much market we lost. We knew how to bring it back. We, our growers today grow a soybean that produces an oil with the, with the healthy profile is olive oil and canola oil and several of the other premium oils that uh, have zero trans fats per serving. That's awesome. So how, I know a lot of consumers out there are kind of interested in learning more about genetic modification and stuff like that, like GMOs. So how does this process differ than, you know, like genetically modifying a crop? Yeah, it's a great question. And it, there is some confusion in there, but genetically modifying, which is what some companies do, means that you're actually bringing foreign DNA into the finished product, right? Which in, in, a, in, short, in short, it means that it couldn't happen in nature. Rarely you get a horse and a donkey, you get a mule, but that's pretty unusual, right? But that's true, yeah. Mo, you've, you've really created something that, that couldn't uh, occur naturally. So in gen genetic editing, where we just take the genome, we're just doing what farmers have done for thousands of years, where they look at their whole field of, of crop and the natural variations in the seed, and they pick the very best one to be their seed, right? That natural variation that made that one bigger, better, stronger, better tasting, whatever the, the criteria is, that's how you select for seed. We know enough through science to know exactly how to do that, so we call it an accelerated breeding technique, but we use our gene editing platform licensed out of the University of Minnesota to go in and take out the part of the... Uh, of, it, of the code that says that we're going to make low oleic acid in a soybean. 
And that's where you get in trouble with the trans fats. So just doing that, doing it on an accelerated basis, and the fact that no foreign DNA is in the final product means that it's, it's uh, indistinguishable, right? It's, it's very much, it could occur in nature. And when we go to the USDA and the FDA for our reviews, that's the question they ask, right? Number one, do you have any foreign DNA? No. Number two, could this occur in nature? Yes. So that's the difference. Okay. So essentially you guys are speeding up what farmers did like hundreds and hundreds of years ago, kind of making it much more efficient. Yeah. Cause even in traditional breeding, when you make a cross, you have the, the calendar time to grow that seed into a plant to make more seeds. Right. And so that takes, there's only so much you can do to speed that up. So we've even, you know, speeded up the, the ability of traditional breeding and uh, into making plants. And so our focus is on, on taking bad fats out. We're, we're focused on a world that no longer is always fighting about the quantity of food, but, but some people want a better quality of food. So in an age of, of allergens and obesity and diabetes, we take the approach that uh, we can make the food that you really like and can't stop eating, uh, we can make it healthier, right? Yeah, yeah. So how are you guys going about kind of, um, one, of the, one of our notes we're going to touch on is kind of making plant proteins taste good. I mean, a lot of people are kind of diving into, you know, paleo diets, vegetarian diets. So what are you guys doing to make your foods and the proteins in the food taste better? So consumers actually, you know, they like it. They're like, this is a produce that I really want to buy. Sure. You know, a great example is vegetable burgers, right? The, the, the plant-based protein vegetable burgers that are taking the, the storm uh, in today's world. They've been around for 30 years and they, now they, they're starting to make them taste a little bit better. What we can do, a lot of them are based out of peas and, and other types of plant proteins that have off notes for flavor and taste. And what we do is we can know where to go in and we can look at certain things there. We've done it also for aroma and how you're cooking things and how it smells to make it more attractive. And it's just really about fine tuning the, the off notes and looking at something that is plant-based, can replace something that feels normal uh, in the replacement. And then sometimes we can even increase the protein content so that you have to grow less of that crop to get the same, more sustainability, right? You're just making more out of a, a bushel of, of crops. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's kind of the whole ag spiel. It's kind of doing more with less every, every year. So that's really cool. Uh, so we're on season two right now, or we're trying to learn more about the differences and similarities between like organic agriculture and conventional. So where do you think gene editing fits in? Can it be for organic and conventional? Where are your thoughts there? Uh, I think it could because it occurs in nature. We've had some officials at the USDA actually mention that possibility in, in past comments, but uh, our soybeans are, Non, non-conventional in that they don't have, we don't use Roundup Ready or we don't use uh, herbicide tolerance in it. You use conventional herbicides, but you still use them in the production because of the cost and the benefit to the consumer of, of widespread production and availability. So we're, we're, we're uh, not transgenic, we're not uh, GMO, but it's yet to be determined whether we can still be qualified as organic. Gotcha. Okay. That, that kind of makes sense. So we we're talking about sustainability a minute ago. What do you see long-term this kind of helping the ag industry be more sustainable? Um, what, what are your thoughts there? Sure. We, our, our second product that's coming out is a, is a, uh, highly digestible alfalfa product. And what we've done is we've lowered the lignin content in the alfalfa in layman's term. That just means 
the cow digests more of what he eats. So it takes less alfalfa, less going through, less coming out, less manure management, maybe less greenhouse gases coming out of it, less water for irrigation, uh, oil, petroleum to move the hay, less hay around to get the same amount of milk or beef production. So these are the types of things where you can actually make it a great improvement of making it more efficient food for a cow. So you use less resources to get the same. And uh, for us, it's, a, it's an attractive thing for dairies or, or big companies who have made sustainability claims, put targets out there. This is a very measurable uh, improvement in sustainability and it'll fit on a carton of milk and you can read about this brand as, as this company is, is, is proud to talk about how they're, what they're doing for the world and why you should drink their milk. You brought up something that made me think about it. Um, so COVID-19 is happening right now and it's mm-hmm. having a crazy impact on the ag industry and really just any industry in general. So is it kind of affecting you and your research at, at Calix or is that kind of affecting you guys at all? Yeah, it's affecting everybody in the world, right? So how are we doing? Uh, we're coping, uh, but we are in the ag and food. So we, we have some exemptions in, in bringing things to the market and we're a seed company. But we have taken a voluntary move just to make sure that we reduce all the exposure we can on our campus. So we just have the key researchers in our labs uh, with all the protection that we can give them and limiting the exposure to other employees. We're working from home and doing things. And so it's, it's how we're dealing with it and waiting to get through these interesting times and we'll see what tomorrow brings. Yeah, there you go. It is definitely a very interesting time to see how everybody kind of adapts and copes with, with what's going on. So what, what's the future of you guys? What's, what's the future of Calix? How are you guys going to grow and kind of foster this whole gene editing aspect in the ag industry that you're doing? Sure. You know, we, we work on two really pillars, wellness and sustainability. So we're either in one pillar or the other or both. The alfalfa would be the sustainability. But after the alfalfa project, we're coming with a high fiber wheat so that you can get about three times the fiber of regular white wheat flour. And consumers today just love to, to get their, uh, their fiber. They know all the benefits of fiber to their health, but they want to eat less carbs. So this is a way to do both. And then we're also taking advantage of, of consumers who like clean labeling. So a lot of foods with high fiber have added fiber. And so that's not, that doesn't always look so great on the label and people are reading labels. People are seeking more fiber from the grain and our new high fiber wheat uh, product will bring that. And then after that, we're, we're also looking at uh, the hemp market, right? The hemp market as an alternative for farmers and it actually came the idea and some of the problems we solved came from one of our soybean farmers who also grows hemp in a fledgling uh, industry that has several challenges in it right now. And there's a, a kind of a long list of things that keep it from easily being a broad acre crop planted. Uh, but we can do several things with, with our platform and our technology to address many of those problems and make a, a very nice uh, CBD product uh, fiber product, all the other things that are going on and improve the uh, efficiency of growing it for the farmer. That's exciting. You're getting into the hemp industry too, because that industry is booming right now. That is for sure. It is our speed. Uh, the speed of our platform puts us in, we'll have our first sales here this summer. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Well, best of luck on that. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, thank you. 
So something I like to ask everybody is kind of their thoughts on the farmer consumer relationship. It's very interesting right now. Uh, people want to learn where their food comes from, but you know, there's so much misinformation out there and you're part of Kayla. It's, it's trying to develop more technologies to provide consumers with safer, more nutritious food. So what are your thoughts right now on the farmer consumer relationship? Is it good? Does it need some work from both sides? What do you think? I think it's fantastic. I think consumers trust farmers. Uh, farmers are looking for new economic models and new ways to connect with consumers to grow different things and, and make more money off, off their acre of land. But at Calix, we actually contract with the grower and connect them. We keep, we keep control of the soybeans and the wheat all the way through the system and sell to the consumer. And because they're connected, we can pay the farmer directly. So some of the premiums we take right from the farmer to that. The other benefit of it is our, uh, we keep an eye on it all the way through. We test that grain for purity every time it's moved. So we have a, a database that's very traceable. So millennials today and young people today really want to know where their food came from, comes from, and that some of them are willing to pay a premium for that. In our traceability, we can tell them exactly uh, down to the county where this thing comes from. I grew up on a farm in Iowa and I never wondered where my food came from. I looked at it and touched it every day, right? Yeah, uh, you knew where it was. <laughs> as we get more urban and we, we have families who, who maybe don't even have friends or relatives, certainly not grandfather's farm to go see, uh, they're missing that link and they seem to, to desire that. So I think the future of food will have more of that story, that traceability, where it's USA grown and known, it's, you know, so you can actually make sure that it is. And there'll be a preference that there's less movement, global movement of it, fossil fuels used, and it's a more sustainable choice. That's a good point that a lot of people are kind of missing um, their connection to the farm. I forget, we had some guest on a few months ago, and they were saying that the typical person is like five or six generations removed from a farm or something like that. And like the millennials and I guess Gen Z are more interested where their food comes from. So they're going to like social media to find farms and to find stuff that shows them how exactly their produce is made. So that's really cool. I think it's wonderful uh, getting them two together and, and, you know, our, our, our platform, our, our science allows us to develop products faster than the normal way in, in the breeding techniques. So when consumer trends come, we can meet it earlier. We can help food companies go, you know, there, there was a lot of times where these clean labels and these new startup companies were, were starting up with very small products and beating the bigger food companies, right? The, and they, with the processed food and some of the other things. And so the bigger companies were buying them. I think there was a, about $18 billion with the sales that shifted from the big companies down to the smaller companies. So that's what the consumer wants. That's what the, the trend seems to be. And we can help food companies make products at an economical level to fulfill that consumer demand. So that's another interesting part of our technology is the speed of the market. I bet. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I mean, the consumer is always right, especially in the food world, because the consumer votes with their dollars. So yep. all very good points. Well, Jim, this has been great. Thanks so much for being on. If people want to learn more about Calix, you guys have a cool YouTube channel. I checked out your videos to kind of see the research going on. Where can they go to follow you guys to kind of follow your research? Yeah, you can go to our main page on our website. It's Calix, C-A-L-Y-X-T.com. All right. Well, we will point everybody in that direction. Thanks so much for being on. It was cool learning about gene editing and all the work you guys are doing. We wish you all the best of luck. Appreciate your time today, Trevor. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Jim.